Welcome to the BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast, coming to you from Vero Beach, Florida, and Marion, Massachusetts. Hosted by Ed Chenefy, this is the podcast that researches and investigates the club management and facility side of our business. A vision. It stays with you for life. You view a dream, it becomes an idea. And if you work hard enough at it, ride the highs and the lows, that vision becomes reality. Imagine a vision, a golf course as a destination. Now imagine that vision while looking at one of the deepest, darkest, and most dense tree farms in all of South Carolina. Not easy, but PGA Tour player Zach Blair, he's doing just that. Hello, and welcome to the BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast. I'm Ed Shanifee, your host, and with each episode, it's indeed my pleasure to bring you the news and the views from the private members club and boutique hotel industries. Being at the right place, at the right time, with the right people, and you may find yourself getting dirty. That's what PGA Tour Golf Zach Blair dreamed about, and Eric Dietz, club manager, has helped to create in South Carolina. In their private club, it's aptly named The Tree Farm. And they both have moved a lot of earth in this little piece of heaven. It's destination golf. The way we play and view golf as a recreational activity may be changing. What Zach and Eric call a lunch-to-lunch experience. Their members will arrive for lunch, play golf in the afternoon, enjoy a drink or two in their cabins or at the clubhouse bar, have dinner, sleep, breakfast, play golf again, and lunch. And then take off back to wherever they may have come from, across the country or the globe. Eric Dietz, formerly club manager of one of the most elite clubs in all of Florida, Mountain Lakes Club in Lake Wales, firstly takes us through how most private clubs can change as boards change. He and Zach, they've both interviewed all 320 members, members who have pre-purchased a membership for a grand opening in September of this year. Well, they insist that the club, though it will evolve, will not divert from Zach's vision to allow people to play golf and just have fun. It was Zach's unwavering idea described during a fact-finding phone call between the two gents with Eric calling Zach while Zach was staring at a California pizza kitchen being demolished in Provo, Utah. That call brought the two men together. Zach is mimicking his own rather laissez-faire personality. He wants the club to be really easygoing. He says he doesn't want to be the star. He doesn't want anything but the land and the course to be the star. But while being the center focus, remain a course easy enough for all levels of player, just to have fun. Before I bring Zach and Eric on the line, I'd like to remind our listeners of our website at beyondthebaselines.com and how we can act as your partner in terms of management, executive search, or simple consultancy for your private members club, boutique hotel, or facility. So please drop us a line at consultants at beyondthebaselines.com or give us a ring here in the office on 508-538-1288. But now, back to the tree farm and the two gents who really did get dirty, the club manager that wears hoodies and boots to his office in the middle of a field, and the PGA Tour player who just competed at the Sony Open, but dreams about creating enjoyment for all levels of player on an old tree farm in South Carolina. Here's Eric Dietz and Zach Hey folks, welcome to the BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast. I'm Ed Chanfrey, your host, and uh, today on the line I've got Eric Dietz, uh, and Zach Blair, both from the tree farm down there in South Carolina. Welcome, gents, and thank you so much for being here. Ed, thanks for having us. Uh, yeah, thanks for Eric, us. Oh, you guys, uh, great to have you both. What a, what a destination and, and a project the tree farm is. And it, before we start talking about the tree farm, I wanted to, to get your 
both your backgrounds. And Eric, I've known you through the industry. You're uh, down here in Florida, um, out there at Lake Wales, and uh, want, would love to hear both your stories. But Eric, we'll start with you. How did how did you get to where you are right now? I know you started on the golf side, but take us through that. Yeah, sure. So I've been playing golf now. Well, let's see, of these 60 years in February. Um, so started playing outside Washington, D.C. and really got active in the game and worked at my club uh, when you could. I started at the age of 10, um, working in the back room and on the range and doing all the usual kind of things and uh, kind of stuck with it and uh, kept playing and went to school and kept playing and eventually uh, found my way. I went to work for a guy that was an assistant golf professional at the club that I grew up in that I worked for. He got his first head pro's job and he was looking for an assistant and he hired me and put him in the apprentice program. And, um, you know, it kind of went from there, went through the program, went through the old school PGA program and became a uh, class A PGA member, Uh, was at Baltimore Country Club, uh, Five Farms and in Baltimore, and then became the head golfer, teaching professional, head professional at Hunt Valley in Baltimore, and then uh, ran all the golf in Hershey, Pennsylvania, back in the day when uh, we had, uh, I guess there were four different facilities, shoot, we had we had the country, country club was 36 old, the top 100, uh, Parkview was top 100, and uh, public golf course, and then nine holes at the hotel, and nine holes at Spring Creek, then moved to a club in California, and uh, they talked me into crossing over to the dark side about started running clubs and uh, have uh, been very fortunate. was uh, a couple times in Minnesota, Rochester Golf and Country Club and uh, Interlochen and uh, outside Edina, and then back home, Lakewood Country Club in Washington, D.C., and uh, uh, Mountain Lake and Lake Wales, Florida, and then Zach and team caught my attention at the tree farm and I ended up, you know, at this wonderful, wonderful, very cool spot uh, with an office in the middle of the woods and uh, in one of the hottest golf areas and in, uh, in the United States and maybe the world. So who would have thought? Yeah, that's a that's a heck of a story. I mean, you traverse the country basically through golf and, and club management. And, 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 and I want to get Zach on and, and Zach, your, your story's a little different, a PGA tour golfer. Um, take us through your, your background there. So the listeners know where you're coming from. Yeah. So I grew up in Utah and my dad, you know, was in the golf industry kind of on all sides of it, development and a PGA professional. Um, so I just grew up around the game my entire life. Um, when I was younger, he built and owned and operated these uh, places called Mulligans um, that were driving ranges with golf courses, you know, with little golf courses. Um, I grew up uh, at the Jeremy Ranch, of course, that he kind of helped uh, develop, you know, before I was born um, and and just kind of traveled around with him, you know, quote unquote catting for him uh, when I was a little kid. So, I just grew up around the game my entire life and, you know, just kind of wanted to be like my dad. So, um, you know, I was always kind of sketching golf holes down and, you know, dreaming of building a golf course one day like him. And um, it's pretty cool to, to to kind of jump into that space and be a part of it. So, so basically, I mean, you've been, you're, you're playing golf right now. You're at a tournament at, at the moment, correct? Out in Hawaii. 
Yep, yep. Our season kind of kicks off this week at the Sony Open. Um, so out here in Hawaii hanging out. Yeah, I just watched the Century, which was a great tournament. First one of the year for the PGA Tour. Um, so you guys both, which is really interesting, I didn't know this, you both grew up in in the club uh, world. Both, both of you, both your parents were involved in the club industry. And I know uh, for Zach, it's been a dream of yours to, to, to open a club and be part of the design. How did you find South Carolina? I mean, there's, I, I, I know you wanted, you're from Utah, you're thinking about doing Utah, but how did the South Carolina property catch your eye? Yeah. So like you said, you know, tried to do something in Utah for a while, kind of just kept stalling out and wasn't really working. Um, started looking kind of all over and, you know, had my eyes kind of pegged on the Southeast just based on, you know, where it is and, you know, people and population and weather and, you know, all those uh, sort of factors. And uh, a friend of mine, Andy Johnson, um, I think was kind of hosting an event down in Aiken and, you know, just kind of mentioned to me, Hey, there's, there's a lot of cool stuff going on. Uh, down here there's a lot of cool golf courses they love golf you know you should look you should look down here and see if there's any places that um you know would fit the bill and so sure enough just kind of started scouring the internet and you know looking for places and that's actually how i found the property it was just on the internet which is pretty wild but uh <laughs> had my eyes on the property for a couple of years um it was just kind of sitting there obviously and uh COVID happened and and thought, hey, we, we're not doing anything right now. Might as well go check this out. That's fantastic. You know, it's funny. I, I, re- I did a little research. I read the Golf Digest article on the tree farm. And, and, and Eric, this is for you. Um, you come from a club at Mountain Lakes out there in the middle of Florida, which has steeped in tradition, an elite club in Florida. And the Golf Digest uh, headline is, uh, you know, the tree farm hell-bent on not being conventional. I think the word they use is hell bent. Um, Eric, what's it like to be at the beginning of a club? You know, Mountain Lake's been there for a hundred some odd years. Now you're at the beginning of, of creating a, a destination club. How is that different? I mean, tell, take us through uh, the differences between an elite traditional club and something that's hell bent on being outside the conventional idea. Yeah, sure. So the, you know, for for years, I, I went into places and uh, with the one goal of just, all, you know, honestly, just trying to make things better um, than they were. And uh, obviously to leave the place um, better than when I got there. And, um, you know, when this when this popped up, I got a phone call from someone that, you know, mentioned the tree farm. And I certainly I I'd followed Zach and I knew the. Uh, knew the property a little bit and knew what was going on. Was familiar with Palmetto, which is a, a great, a great golf club here in Aiken. And um, uh, so I was talking to this individual about this uh, uh, about this project, and they were looking to uh, find someone. And you know, I, I kind of offhandedly said to him, "I said, I know you called me looking for a candidate, and you weren't thinking about me." I said, "But you know." What would you think? And we talked a little bit about it, and you know they had he had some conversations with Zach and the team, and um, I I met a few times with um, different partners, and you know the thing that really 
stirred me about the tree farm, and it's a long-winded way of why, probably why I ended up there. It was a 45-minute call with Zach, and Zach would probably never remember this call, but um, it was very memorable for me because I asked him one question that was very, very important to me, and that was, you know, talk to me about the vision of the tree farm and what your vision is for it. And, you know, he's great. He walked me through it and, you know, really gave me from his lens what what his belief, the uh, the tree farm was all about. And, you know, I asked him, I said, so how do you protect that? How do you ensure that, um, you know, the bulk of that stays in place? And, um, you know, he walked me through, you know, things will change and they will evolve, but they're not going to evolve um dramatically and it's not something that's going to change where you know one year it's going to be this and then the next year it's going to be that and we all know that at private clubs no matter how good they are and i shared this with zach um the the one common thread the one challenge is vision and really having that you know steadfast belief in what you're doing and that the direction that you're heading is is correct most private clubs, you know, unfortunately, they'll change as the boards change. And, you know, you get different committees and different boards. So it was this great, you know, he gave me this great answer and it really electrified me to the point that I was like, you know, this would be really something I'd be interested in. Um, so, you know, it evolved. We had some further conversations, came out, was amazed, you know, when I was out at the property and um, Zach and I had a another one or two follow-up conversations and you know we put the deal together he said i i think i'm going to green light this and um so <laughs> you know what was cool what, what's what's cool the difference between you know why is being at a startup of such interest you get to touch everything you get to be a part of everything it doesn't mean you're going to answer all the um, all the questions or that you're directly responsible for every decision. You know, we got a great group that is the tree farm and certainly it's following Zach's lead. Um, but you get to touch everything and, and you get to try your best um, to ultimately put in, put forth what is the best tree farm. And that's really Zach's vision. And then, you know, the things that the great professional staff that, you know, they put that we put together or we'll be able to to deliver. So it's a really, I don't know, knowing what I know now, I, I you know, I'm so looking forward to September and opening this place. And it, it, it's uh, it's going to be awesome. Can't wait. Zach, do you remember that phone call? I'm sure you do. Yeah. Yeah. I was in the mall parking lot in Provo, you know, staring at the California pizza kitchen getting torn down. <laughs> and uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, for sure. I, I think, you know, that was a, certainly a big, you know, phone call just for the, you know, going forward for the club and, you know, getting someone that's kind of been there and done that and seen a lot of things and, um, you know, someone that we knew could could help the operation out and, you know, bring a lot of insight. And um, we're certainly lucky to have Eric and it's been really cool kind of, you know, seeing him work on, executing my vision and trying to get everybody on board to to do the same. 
At Beyond the Baselines, we have over 25 years of experience with management of private members' clubs and boutique resorts. Whether it's finding the inefficiencies caused by the blurring of roles between management and board governance, managing a single department, or educating and mentoring a key employee, we have served the private members' club industry like no other consultancy since 2007. Partnering with club governing bodies and working alongside management, we bring a team of highly specialized and experienced experienced associates for that personal touch and hands-on management style to achieve long-term goals with short-term results. At Beyond the Baselines, we understand the traditions and importance of membership, but history and connections to a bygone era shouldn't inhibit growth. In fact, we believe they can be a catalyst for change. So please visit our website at beyondthebaselines.com or give us a call at 508-538-1288. That's 508-538-1288. Hey, you're speaking about your vision. I, I, you know, I did, a, I did a lot of reading and you, you, you're there. What's amazing is your geographical location is just 25 miles away, really from Augusta. I didn't know it was that close until I looked at the map of where you are. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Zach, you've always wanted, I guess, to the vision is kind of, I, I, you know, maybe you want to be a little bit by the like, like the masters, like Augusta. But at the same time, you kind of have an informal feel. You're trying to create this destination. The course you said I read is is not that hard. You want every level to play it. What is your vision? Is it to bring people from around the country, around the world, to the tree farm? How are you going to do that? And and how did you design it? I know you went through some designers there. I think Kyle, Kyle Goldie was the last of the designers to finish off the course, but take us through your vision and how you designed the course based on that vision. Yeah. I mean, the vision was always just, you know, to build a place for people that love golf, um, you know, to be able to come and hang out and feel like they can be themselves and um, really tried to not kind of deviate at all from that. And um, That's really been kind of the, the guiding, you know, light uh, you know during the whole development of the whole project um it's really like as simple as it gets but uh, as far as the golf course goes um we had uh originally king collins was helping me out in utah and you know so when we got this property it was obviously kind of a a weird situation, whether this was kind of the same project or a new project. And eventually we ended up kind of telling them we, you know, we were going to go a different direction and then we were stuck with no, you know, architect or no one helping really. So we had to find somebody and it just kind of happened, uh, you know, serendipitously that I I was getting picked up from the airport by Kai Golby to uh, go down to play golf for a few days. And, He's obviously been involved in a ton of great projects around the world. Has worked for Tom Doak and Gil Hans for the last, you know, 20 plus years or whatever. Um, and I think kind of immediately I just started trying to pick his brain and asking him questions and, you know, who should I talk to? You know, do you have any advice? And he was great, you know, th- throughout the whole project. And I think after three or four days of spending time together, he was kind of like, Hey, I'd love to see the property, you know, and would love to help out in any way. So, you know, he was, he was kind of the guy I leaned on and uh, he and a couple others led to Tom Doak getting involved and coming in to help out with the routing, which was obviously another huge, you know, huge uh, kind of piece for the whole project to, 
to get the traction that we needed and get the right eyes on it and to, to get us off to, you know, the best start we could. Um, and then it was really Kai and uh, a couple of other shapers that, you know, built the whole place. So I helped out a little bit and, um, you know, it obviously started with the routing with Tom and Kai and, um, but yeah, it's, it's a cool place. The property's cool. And, you know, the goal was always to, to just let the land be the star because it was so special. Um, didn't want to try and build a lot of stuff or do a lot of flashy things. Wanted to make it pretty, uh, you know, low key and, um, Elegant, was it, if you will. was it actually, was it actually an old tree farm? Is that, I mean, is it was an old tree farm. Did you have to cut, I mean, was it, was it forest or was it open how, how, when you first got there? What, what did it appear like? Yeah, basically, uh, if you could picture, um, the densest forest you could possibly imagine. That's what I'm, yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm picturing. I'm yeah. trying to think when I drive through South Carolina and see those tree farms, I mean, it's dense, right? Yeah, it was, it was, uh, you know, they, they harvested timber on, you know, parts of the property, you know, throughout its history, I would say, um, for the last, I don't know, 50 or so years, I think it was, um, just kind of being hunted on there wasn't a, there wasn't like a big timber operation going on, you know, recently. Um, so it was pretty over, it was pretty overgrown, um, you know, it was a pretty wild transformation kind of seeing, you know, the, the, the logging company or the timber company kind of come in and, and take the trees out and uh, do that whole operation. It was, it was pretty crazy. So. And now, I mean, I've seen pictures, it's pretty open. I mean, it's, it, it it's not tight. I mean, it, as you said, it's, it's uh, any player could probably play and it's, it's open for all levels. Yeah. That was always, you know, pretty important to just, uh, you know, allow people to come have fun. I, I think, um, it's kind of a course that to me gets better, you know, the more you play it and especially as a higher level, like lower handicap golfer, you kind of pick up on new things and, you know, some of the strategy isn't super apparent, you know, the first time you play it, cause there's not a ton of fairway bunkers and, you know, they're pretty generous fairways. Um, you know, but like I said, the more you get out there and the more you see it, you know, those little things kind of, uh, you know, make their way out in, in terms of the strategy. And uh, it, it holds up, you know, from a kind of bad golfer all the way to, you know, elite, like professionals, I would say. So it, it's been cool. Uh, Eric, going back to you, you know, this is a monumental task in terms of, of, of funding a project like this, gaining membership. Um, how's that going? I mean, I, I, I think I read that you have 70 uh, you know, founding members and you've already raised something like $35 million. But how are you thinking going forward? I, I think you mentioned it's going to open in September. Operational costs. And a lot of times we, we set up the, you know, we have the capital expenses. We've got that in the, the front of our heads on our on, on our you know, radar, but then we forget them. We open, we've got that staff that we've got to make payroll each week. Um, how's that all going? Yeah. You know, it's a, it, it's a great question, right? So <laughs> it, uh, you're, you're right. 70 founding members, um, total membership right now, we're sitting about just under 320 and which is a great number. It's, it's fantastic. Really, it's, it's fabulous. And, you know, one of the, the most unique, and I'll use that word a lot to describe the tree farm. One of the most uni- unique features 
of the tree farm is every one of those 320 people have one thing in common. Each one of them uh, were, were, were touched in one way, shape, or form by Zach Blair. So that means that um, Zach has interviewed everyone. He's talked to everyone. Um, he's made sure that um, they all... Uh, they all meet that that vision, that common denominator, which is the tree farm is really a place for fun. And you want to have people that that are going to enjoy coming and enjoy that type of property. I mean, gosh, when you go into our golf shop, um, we've got Carhartt overalls in there. And that's uh, homage to Zach and, you know, some great pictures of him uh, clearing the property. And, you know, B. Dratty did a, a real cool uh, logo of Zach called the Lumber Zach that um, <laughs> recognized him the, the original Dratty ambassador and and so forth. So um, 320, just about all of them touched um, by Zach, who's really acted as the membership chair and the membership committee. Um, so you know that side of it, we we plan to cap at 350, and then okay, uh, so you're almost we full. Wanna, we want to gauge things. Um, based on that first year of business and really get a sense where the tree farm is decidedly different. It's a different model. We're a, uh, we're a model that's based on usage. So we want our members to use the facility, you know, they'll fly in, they'll drive in. Um, you know, it's really, it's a lunch to lunch vision uh, folks. And though people will use uh, the tree farm in different ways. There'll be some day golf, but a, a lot of folks will come in. Uh, they'll have lunch, play golf in the afternoon, um, have dinner, stay the evening, have breakfast, play golf, have lunch, and leave. Right, and that'll that'll really be the uh, uh, the the common the most common way that that it'll be used. But well, as I said, we'll see day golfers and uh, we'll see people staying longer than, than that, I'm sure. But it's based on usage. Um, so we've got to determine how that model stands up and does it generate uh, the top line revenue that, that we anticipate that we're assuming that it will in order to support that key staff. So um, we're going at it you know, we could go out and maybe bring 500 members in and then we would, you know, we, we'd be sure that we would get the the usage that, that, that uh, you know, would well drive. That you need. Revenue. But we don't want to do that. You know, we want to make sure that the experience is such that, um, you know, it lines up with the, the vision that, that Zach is so carefully created. Where where are most of the members coming from? Are they from the area? Are they national? Are they yeah? It's almost like you're yeah. creating a destination. It is. It's it's definitely a destination place. We you know we have uh, we've got some nice pockets of folks from um, Charlotte, Augusta, a couple from Aiken, um, Charleston, Greenville. You know different different parts of uh, South Carolina, um, Northeast. Um, certainly there's, there's a group, there's a contingent of real hard golfers from Utah that will, will play when it's 45 degrees and raining sideways because the, <laughs> the weather's, the weather's a little bit better naked than it is in, uh, uh, in Utah during, during the winter. So, um, you know, New York, 
Chicago, different metro areas. But again, the draw has been what's the common denominator? People that have a high golf IQ, uh, they love architecture. Uh, they love the idea of uh, of having fun, and you know they they certainly uh, uh, buy into the to the vision that you know, Zach often speaks about. Yeah, I mean, I know Columbia pretty well. It's a beautiful area, and I'm sure you get a good pull from there because you're not that far. Um, but to create a destination golf like this, needs somebody like Zach at the front end. Uh, this is an open question for, for, for both of you, and I think both of you could answer it. Obviously, you're going to have some residences there. I think you're building cottages. Um, from my experience uh, here at Quail Valley, where I was for many years, part of my or the most profitable part of, of the operation was the, was the, was the residences, was the, was the rooms. What, how does that fit in, Zach, to your vision, like people coming down to stay or they're going to stay for – couple days they make a week-long visit of it how, how do you picture that working and, and then over to you uh, eric after how does that help your operational cost yeah i mean the operation uh i mean the vision you know really kind of is always hinged on the lodging aspect of it um you know it's almost like it's a, a hotel with a golf course um, as kind of the amenity, um, it's mm -hmm. obviously the private setting and it's a club and everything like that. But, you know, I've always felt that the, uh, lodging in the rooms was really kind of the, the revenue driver behind the whole thing. And, um, you know, you've got to get heads and beds and, you know, you need the people to, to get there and utilize it. But yeah, it's definitely set up for kind of the whole stay and play and, you know, eat on property, stay on property, golf on property and, you know, do everything while you're there. Right. And Eric, how's that going to work operationally? You give the staff for that there in South Carolina ready to, ready to roll out in September? Yeah, well, you know, we're, we're going through a couple of key hires that, uh, uh, that we're making right now. We're, you know, actively searching CFO, chef, uh, assistant general manager. So we'll get those folks on board. I uh, like to have them on the ground so they can really spend some time. We're, we're doing some preview play. Uh, right now, six days a week. So we're, um, you know, we'll we'll do up to 48 players in the morning, 48 players in the afternoon. You know, it's important to mention too that uh, our caddy program is a big part of uh, of the tree farm. So you know, right now it's it's all walking. Uh, certainly, if someone needs a golf car, we've got a couple of them around if they've got you know a, a, a definite reason um, for that. But uh, you know, we're getting a good feel for. You know what what folks are looking for and kind of how their um, um, you know how how the membership is is wired so to speak. Um, this experience will be um, very different. Again, there there's this wonderful picture of just a blazing fire with some Adirondack chairs that are that are there's a ring around it with a uh, sunset or sunrise in the background. And that's really very typical of the tree farm. You know, we use smoke to greet people and there's always a fire um, going on. And, you know, we imagine that that experience will carry forth when once we get the cabins open, all of the buildings that we're building are all um, they'll look like they've been in the woods for years and years, wood siding, um, very natural looking metal roof. 
Um, the, the, the clubhouse is kind of cut into a hillside um, and it adjoins the 18th green, which is a drivable par four, uh, hole uh, T number one, which is a par three hole, the warm up practice area. Um, you get to see all of that with a beautiful practice green that's right on the edge of the um, the edge of one of the terraces. So there's going to be a lot of community that takes place at the tree farm. And, you know, one of the greatest things for me that I've observed over the last year is just watching people, you know, share um, uh, um, share contact information, get to know new people, expand their horizons. Um, you know, you you got groups now that are playing golf all over the world, um, which is one of the great byproducts of what what it is that we do. And uh, so lodging is critically important to that. Um, the rooms will, you know, they'll have a, a Ritz-Carlton style bed and wonderful um, linens and and sheets and and so forth, but they're not designed for you to spend time in the room. They're designed to spend time with people and with nature. Beautiful. Hey Zach, I I, I didn't I didn't realize the caddy program was this big, and I know you're a, a big advocate of speed of play. How's how's the speed of play going to work when uh, everyone's walking? Obviously, which is great. I mean, you know, a good walk spoiled is what the sports really, uh, you know, the motto of the sport. So. How do you think speed of play will be with a caddy program? Yeah, it's usually pretty good. Uh, you know, obviously when you got caddies kind of double bagging it, it it's it, it's maybe slows it down a teeny bit if you're kind of either waiting on the player or waiting on the caddy. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, we've always kind of pace of play has been a big deal and it's kind of a work in progress and, you know, something we're keeping our eyes on. And, um, you, you know, as with everything else, it's kind of, I've always had my eyes on, you know, fall 2024 and getting everything kind of dialed in by then. And a a lot of the things are kind of still a lot of moving parts with it and still kind of evolving and taking shape and, you know, getting our footing, you you know, really settled in. And um, yeah, I I think it'll be fine. (laughs) Right. Yeah. No. And and speaking about uh, the the practice green uh, I mean, I love this a part three to start with that make, lets me warm up, but You've got the green right there, and I understand you're going to have a practice facility. That That's becoming a major um, part of any new golf destination, isn't it? I mean, you're going to have simulators and all that? Yeah, honestly, I, I'm not I'm not sure where that came from. I don't know if it was in the article or it might have been it in was, one of the old Golf Digest articles. Um, yeah, it was in it the was old Golf Digest. Yeah, it was, you know, that was definitely something that I wanted to do in Utah. Kind of hasn't really carried over as much to the tree farm. Down the road, you know, we've always kind of said if we wanted to do something like that, we could. But, you know, as a as kind of a destination club where people are just coming in for a couple of days, it's not really anyone's local clubs. Um, You know, there's not a ton of people coming out to just grind and practice and take lessons. So it was definitely kind of less of a priority here than it was maybe in, in some of the earlier visions. Um, you know, the range is really nice, but it's really a warm up range. You know, it's used to mm-hmm. hit a hand, hit a handful of balls before you go out. And I, I think throughout the whole process, we kind of learned that, you know, most of these people just want to warm up and see a few balls fly and get out on the course. And they just kind of want to be out there all day. So um, <clears throat> definitely is kind of 
shifted a bit. And, but if it's something down the road where a bunch of the tour guys, you know, want to build a really cool place, you know, we have room for, you know, room for something like that. Just uh, not something we're doing right now. So you got a, a, a par three to start with, a, a drivable bar four on the 18th. What's the distance? What's the what's the length of the course? Uh, you know, from the different tees and and what what's the par? Par seventy one um, plays like sixty nine hundred from the back. Um, you know, and there's sets obviously that are probably sixty five and six thousand um, and shorter and longer. You know, but those are kind of the three main sets of tees that are out day in and day out. Um, and yeah, it's cool. It's obviously a very unique setting. The clubhouse itself is, you know, super site specific and um, something that uh, my friend who's the architect, Alex War, is, uh, you know, extremely excited about just with how site specific it is. You know, you'd never see it kind of anywhere else in the world except for at the tree farm, um, which is really cool. And it, like Eric mentioned, it it kind of overlooks the 18th green. It's kind of attached right to where the practice putting green is. And the first tee is right there. So, you know, you can sit out on the back porch and watch people, watch people drive 18 and, um, you know, watch people tee off and finish the first hole, which is, you know, I don't know that there's that many places in the whole world where you can, you know, say that. Beyond the Baselines is the leading executive search firm for private members clubs and boutique resorts. From the kitchens to the courts, the practice tees to the waterfront, Beyond the Baselines is your partner to find the best in-class employees for your club, facility, or resort. Whether you are a member-owned club or a corporate hotel entity, we are the specialists for you in elite hospitality. It's not just the members that should feel loyalty to their club. It's the sense of loyalty combined with the pride of offering superior service and hospitality in every worker that makes a good club that much better. So find that right candidate with us today. Call us today at 508-538-1288. That's 508-538-1288. Or visit us on the web at beyondthebaselines.com. Uh, Eric, final question for you. Uh, what's your biggest uh, challenge, I'd say, to opening in September? What do you see is going to be the, uh, the biggest challenge and possibly the greatest reward when you open those doors for the, to, the, to the full membership? Yeah, I think it, you know, it always, it's always going to revolve around people. And we all know the industry today. And I do think that'll be the biggest reward, though, too, because this will be, you know, one of the things about this type of operation that is is so very, very different. And that that'll spill over into the um, into the hiring process, too, is you, you've got to want to be part of something like this. You've got to be willing and you know zach asked me this question too as a follow-up was a follow-up call to the, the site visit he, he called me he goes do you have any problem getting dirty and i was like no no i really i don't and you know he pretty much said good because that's the way that's the way it's going to be and you know he was spot on um you know most days it's it's um you know, if you if you came to the tree farm, I'm I'm in five pockets and boots and um, hoodies and things like that, which is a great departure from jacket and tie and and so forth. And I think you know staff will you know one we've got to find the staff, and then two we're, we'll get them to embrace that philosophy. And then really, it's a, you know senior management 
our responsibility really is going to be more choreography and being great conductors. And I think that gives us a very unique opportunity because one, we'll get to know our members uh, intimately, which means um, we'll know their likes and uh, dislikes pretty quickly. Um, but it'll also be, let each person that comes in um, to be a, a unique part of the success of the tree farm. So it's going to be revolving around finding people. And then ultimately, uh, the joy will be watching those people deliver an amazing experience. And Zach, over to you for the final question. Obviously, location, not sure. Maybe you do have dreams of bringing a major PGA event there or a uh, USGA event. Um, but what are, what are your goals uh, as you look to open up in September? What, what, what do you think you're going to be in five years at the tree farm? Yeah, honestly, kind of never, you know, never built it with aspirations of having, you know, some big professional golf tournament. Um, you know, the course certainly wasn't designed. It was almost designed like the opposite kind of, you know, just running away from the uh, pretty typical, modern build right now where it's just build it as long as you can and build it as hard as you can you know we did everything with kind of fun in mind instead of hard um so i i don't see you know some big big professional event kind of on the horizon i don't think that's something that we're super interested in um now if it's you know a, a junior event or a mid-am event or an amateur event or something like that college event you know maybe but uh really everything's just kind of going towards the vision which is you know just having a place for people to come have fun so um that's that's what i want to be in five years i want to be a place where you know people can't wait to come back and you know we're so excited about you know what they're experiencing there and um whether they're a member or a guest you know it's it's always kind of the same feeling when you leave that you know, you're just looking forward to, to coming back as soon as possible. That's great. You guys both uh, got dirty doing this project, and I, I wish you the best in September when you open it. And know that you already have 320 members out of a maximum of 350, 370. It's, it, it's just an, a monumental task to do that, and I congratulate you both. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, and we look forward to watching the opening uh, and seeing how it progresses down there in South Carolina. Thanks, Ed. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Ed. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to beyondthebaselines.com podcast. It's a pleasure bringing you each week's news and views and great guests from our tennis, fitness, and country club industries. You can always reach the team here at beyondthebaselines at gmail.com or on the phone at 508-538-1288. Please do visit our website at www.beyondthebaselines.com, which is updated regularly with even more information for you, your club, or your facility. See you again soon.